0: Welcome to Medicus, a podcast made by students about everything in the world of medicine. Welcome back to Medicus. In today's episode, I sat down to talk with Mega and Andrea, M4s who both spent one year in Bolivia for their Global Health Fellowship. Loyola students have the opportunity to pause their clinical education between the third and fourth years of medical school and move down to the rural town of Palacios, Bolivia, to work as clinic coordinators at a free clinic called Centro Medico Humberto Para. The clinic was started 18 years ago by the combined efforts of a Bolivian endocrinologist named Dr. Douglas Villaruel and a physician couple here from Chicago, the late Dr. Susan Ho and her husband, Dr. Ethan Mullinch. Stopping medical school to spend a year in a rural Bolivian clinic is a pretty unique experience, so we wanted to get Megan Andrea here on the podcast to tell us about it. We talk about the clinic, their responsibilities while they were down there, and we also touched on some general global health concepts, such as sustainability. I think this is a really great episode if you are interested in possibly doing the fellowship yourself, or maybe just casually interested in global health and the opportunities that are out there. So with that, let's cut to the interview. So could you guys just introduce yourselves then?
1: Vega? My name is Vega. <laughs> I am a fourth year medical student. I am from Burridge, Illinois, originally. Okay. Um, what else sure. So Where'd you go, to, go to undergrad? I went to undergrad at Case Western Reserve University. Okay. I graduated in 2014. I took a year between undergrad in medical school to do some global health work in guatemala india
2: okay and i'm andrea i'm originally from california i'm also a fourth year medical student see i went to johns hopkins university and took a year in between that and did a master's program at boston university and after that i got into loyola came here
0: okay so let's just take a second and talk about kind of like your global health resume. So you said that you'd done a couple of global health experiences before. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us about those?
1: Yeah. So, well, I originally kind of wanted to take a gap year before medical school because in undergrad, I became really interested in like community health just through like civic engagement that I was doing in Cleveland. And it started with, like, the classic one-week mission trip that you do. And I, like, went to Nicaragua for a week, and I was like, this is awesome. And then I, like, <laughs> I, like wanted to do more of that. And so it was cool because it was, like, very humble beginnings in terms of, like, this, like, short-term medical mission trips. And, and then I, like, decided to, I wanted to do something a little bit more long-term in Guatemala and India. And, and those are like, really great experiences as well. When I was in Guatemala, I was like working with a head nurse and I really, it was like, pre- I was a pre-med student, so I didn't really know much about medicine, but I was helping her where I could, like taking notes, doing inventory, measuring babies' weights, <laughs> all of that stuff. And I was like teaching English and math. And I think it was just like a really great Community engagement and in India was it was pretty similar. I think those experiences were really really great. I think in terms of service, they didn't feel like I was serving them. It was more of just like the self benefiting. Thing, but I still really I felt like I learned so much and it was really good and um, and then during medical school I did like a two month ISI trip to Ecuador which was amazing and I feel like that was really cool I feel like the project was really cool it, like had a research component to it and we were like measuring blood pressure and glucose levels for patients and giving them like one on one nutritional counseling and stuff and I like majored in nutrition and medical anthropology so like I really enjoyed nutrition counseling a lot so so that was kind of my journey with. Global health. Sorry, I mm-hmm. talked a lot. No, no that's exactly <laughs> yeah. what you want for a podcast, okay. right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I started pretty similar to Mega. Like in undergrad, I did one um, a one week medical mission trip to Honduras with Global Brigades. That was the first time I ever traveled abroad, and it was eye opening. And even like with my uh, medical experience, wise too, because I was just beginning to like explore um, medicine, science, research that sort of thing, and try and figure out what I want to do in the future. So that was a good experience to see how clinic runs and how it's done abroad. But that also showed me the side of like, well, these are only here for one week in these communities, and they don't stay longer. After that, I still uh, participated in that organization and helped uh, start a global water brigades at my undergrad campus and um, with a group of uh, medical students that went down before. And um, I felt like that was more sustainable and that they continue to work in these communities and these groups of students that come down will pick up where a project left off. And so it Building a sustainable water system for that community, so I really liked that aspect. After that, I really wanted to do something more long term, but I never uh, had the opportunity until uh, med school. Till I first heard about it on our interview here, so in about Bolivia and the year-long fellowship, I kept that in the back of my mind until third year started. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. So that's a good point. We should mention the fellowship. So the reason we have you on here is because you both just got back from a year long fellowship in Bolivia. So you kind of did like the crazy thing of stopping medical school, which I always think is so interesting because when you stop medical school, no one comes to you and like knocks on your door and says like, do you want to stop medical school and do this other thing for a year? You kind of have to create the impetus yourself to go and do it. Can you guys maybe just talk a little bit about what attracted you to the fellowship? Like what things did you hear about it that made you want to do it?
1: So after I had gone to Guatemala and India, like when I was interviewing for medical schools, Layola really attracted me because on the interview, they mentioned this global health fellowship opportunity and none of the other places I interviewed at um, had an opportunity like that. And despite just the fellowship opportunity, I think Layola's global health curriculum is just really strong as well. And so it's always been something that I had kind of come into medical school feeling this was already something I was gonna do like at the like the first global health lecture I went to during first year I like talked to Lucia about it and she was like all right I, I, don't, I doubt she remembers this she was just like it's a little early I was like asking all these details about it she's like it's a little early you know what? like but if you're interested like it's it more so happens during third year is when you kind of <laughs> decide that um so so yeah I was like very interested from the beginning and, and yeah, and I think like taking a year off is very difficult in general, but I think that for people who are really serious about global health, international health, I should say, having like a long-term immersive experience is like so essential, I think, to just like having a background. And even if you don't feel like you're going to live abroad eventually, like, and want to practice medicine abroad eventually permanently, it just like the experience that you have there is just really in- invaluable. And, and I don't think you can speak to like a lot of sustainability and lo- like the differences between long-term and short-term medical trips unless you've really experienced a long-term thing, at least like a year.
2: Yeah. So um, well, like I said, I heard about it when I first yeah. came in. And then I wasn't sure if I could still do it because I didn't participate in ISI like during my first mm-hmm. year. Yeah. But during third year, they opened it up to the class to see who was interested in going. And and I decided I'll, you know, I'll email Lucia. Uh, and see, like, what it's all about. And we had a dinner with uh, a couple of the past fellows. They're all very nice, open about their experiences. And it was a hard decision to decide to take a year in between, especially since we're so close to the end. But I thought about it, like, I've always wanted to do something long term. And I couldn't foresee, like, in residency, I would probably not be able to do something like that long, maybe a month long. After that, who knows? But Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I saw that this was my opportunity now and decided to do it now. And they're very supportive of the year and it's a well-established program. So I felt comfortable doing a uh, year-long fellowship with them.
1: Mm -hmm. And I kind of pressured her. I try. I tried to. Oh, I see. <laughs> I, okay. was be, I was trying. It. I was like, it'll be so much fun, Andrea. We'll have so much fun together. <laughs>
0: that's actually that's a pretty big pressure. That, that was a good job you did then.
1: <laughs> I know. I was. So, I was trying to be cool about it. I was like, I mean, do what you want to do. Like, I'm not going to be overbearingly like. <laughs> I was like, I I'm like, so excited. Really excited. Really like, yeah, but I'll be
0: cool. <laughs> <with it." laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like both of you guys had thought about it for a long time That it was something that had been on the back of your mind which i think probably helps a little bit if you kind of mm-hmm. know going into medical school that you're interested in this kind of opportunity yeah that you're going to be more interested in it during your third year mm-hmm. something I, I do want to clarify so you guys said that you did the isi program so that's the ignatian service immersion program yeah just for anyone who's not familiar with loyola it's a like a program that you do in the summer after your m1 year and you said you went to ecuador for two months mm-hmm. and you did not do I it i didn't
2: yeah i didn't yeah.
1: participate
0: yeah. during mm-hmm. first
1: year yeah mm-hmm.
0: are you guys both a part of the global health honors program
1: yeah so i was Or right I'm, I'm not yeah. you're not yeah.
0: okay so it's not a requirement part of this discussion yeah. i know is that some people are going to be listening to this who are at stretch in a certain sense this might be like the most exposure they ever have to this fellowship. Yeah. So I also kinda like want to let you guys sell it to them in a certain sense. Like yeah. talk about how great it is. Cause you know, you might it need to, like that extra little bit of encouragement or a little bit of information. Yeah. Can you guys talk about how it's organized? Well, first of all, like what's the opportunity called? Is there like an official name for it?
1: Yes. The global health field field uh, fellowship. Fellowship. Yeah, fieldwork. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, I believe that's the full I name. I think that is the full name. <laughs> that makes yeah. sense.
0: So the Global yeah. Health Field Work Fellowship. Yeah, okay. so
1: we're considered like Global Health Fellows right. from okay. Loyola standpoint and like in um, CMHP, the clinic that we were at and stuff. Okay. Yeah. So
0: Central Medico Humberto Parra. Yeah. Okay. CMHP. Yeah,
1: you got the name down. Well,
0: so I was there. For my <laughs> yeah, for my, so just, yeah, for my yeah, Ignatian yeah, service yeah. immersion, I was there. Yeah, just yeah. full so disclosure. So I'm kind of familiar right. with where you guys were. So. Yeah,
1: that's actually really helpful. It's like good that you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned that you were thinking about it in your third year. At what point did you have to decide or like when was the deadline that you had to...
1: Um, You have to apply, I think, in December or January. Yeah, I think they sent an email about it in November yeah. and okay. asking, like, to see who's interested and that they're going to have a dinner. And so then. Yeah. And they always have December. dinners, like, with past fellows um, in the fall at some point for people who are interested or, like, thinking about it. And even if you're vaguely considering it, I would really recommend just going to the dinner just so you have a better understanding of, like, what the fellowship entails. And, yeah, it's just like. You get
2: all your questions answered. yeah. Um, so I think it's always good to talk with um, Dr. Blair, Lucia, like face-to-face, and the, and also
1: past fellows. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah.
0: What other kind of requirements were there? Did you have to do some sort of like application, essay situation? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, it's like a – it's an application. I think there's like five questions. It's not like a – Super intense application, but the Center for Community and Global Health, like, they really want to see that you have a commitment and interest and, like, not just wanting to take a year to travel. So, yeah, I think that – and you might send a resume, and I can't remember. Yeah, we sent
2: in our resume. Yeah. Um, We also had a dinner with uh, Dr. Ho and Dr. Molich. That was, you know, somewhat of a laid-back interview and mm-hmm. in that they mm-hmm. get to ask us, like, why we're interested in this fellowship. And they also answer questions themselves if we have mm-hmm. any for them.
0: Okay, so Dr. Ho and Dr. Molich are the, I guess you could say, like, in charge of the organization. Could you yeah, tell us right. a little they're about like who the they founders.
2: are and, like, how they're involved? Mm-hmm. Dr. Ho uh, was a nephrologist here at Loyola. Unfortunately, she passed away recently. And Dr. Molich, um, he's in endocrinologist at Northwestern. Uh, they were married and they helped start this clinic in Bolivia with Dr. Douglas Villarreal, who is a Bolivian doctor. Um, okay. And they happened to all meet in the States at one point And, you know, they got talking and decided that they wanted to open up this clinic in an underserved area in Bolivia. Okay. Yeah.
0: So students from Loyola have been going to the site for a while, I guess through Dr. Ho because she's a loyal physician. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And I assume Northwestern students also come yeah. occasionally.
1: Yeah. yeah, they have
2: that okay. opportunity too. They have a, like an elective, like we do here.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um,
1: they don't have the global health fellowship, mm-hmm. like one year opportunity, but they right. like have residents that come down and okay. and students D- too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And students doing rotation. They don't have a, like an ISI type thing either. Right. Uh, currently, like I don't know about in the past, but right now it's
2: yeah. They have the fourth year at uh, Fourth year electives.
1: Yeah. Um, same as Loyola, where it's the
2: one month. Um, during your fourth year, you can go down. And then internal medicine residents get to come down for one month as well. Mm, okay, that's and then we also have Lurie's pediatric residents that are able to come down for a month.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. That's cool. Okay, that's cool that they have it built into their curriculum. Do all the residents in their resident program come down at some
1: point? Or no, is it no, just people who are just, interested? Yeah, it's just like an elective okay. also for...
0: Yeah. residents
1: like third year residents. okay sure Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I,
0: I thought for a second i was like man that would be a lot of residents because they probably have a good like at no. least 10 in yeah. their class i don't know <laughs> how People a lot. Yeah. yeah
2: and also like we've had other med students from other schools visit for one month too they find this clinic on their own and email the person in charge um the coordinator in charge and they're able to set up uh an away elective okay So mm-hmm. yeah.
0: just as an aside if mm-hmm. anyone was listening to this and they were like wow i'm interested in this i want to do uh, a a rotation, mm-hmm. who is that coordinator who they could contact?
1: If you're outside of Loyola or Northwestern, it would be the North American coordinator. On the website,
2: org, you can find out the email for the coordinator. Uh, email her if someone's interested in doing a away elective there.
0: Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, let's, let's bring it back a little bit into the fellowship itself again. So what is the cost for this? Did you guys like have to pay like a tuition for this year or how does that work?
1: No, so you don't, yeah, you don't pay tuition for the year. Um, You get a $5,000 stipend and all your living expenses and food are covered for the year. And, and then a flight there and back is also covered. I mean, you're postponing earning an intern year by a year, I think, which is like hard for some people. But if you're able to, I mean, we're I feel very, very privileged and lucky to have been able to spend that year. And it it basically ended up being just like this like frozen year in terms of money. And they also
2: covered health insurance for when you're in the States. (laughs) So like when I came back for holidays, I, Mm -hmm. you know, made sure to do any doctor's visits I needed to do. Also, our loans, though, are frozen. So they're not like accruing interest as well as well
0: okay so. <laughs> wait so how how do you get the loans frozen without accruing interest is there like a special program or like a scholarship or
2: it's through the financial aid office oh, so you work okay. with them and they'll make sure to put in the proper
0: that's stuff that's so you don't fancy. have to so you're pay not accruing it. interest because that's yeah. like that was the one thing i was wondering about i was like okay yeah so we can stop loans but still gonna take that six percent for that year that's really cool hmm Okay. So you mentioned a little bit about how the clinic came to be. So you talked about Dr. Ho and Dr. Mulch and how they came together. Could you tell us a little more, like kind of paint us a picture of like how it kind of started, like what was the beginning and uh, like kind of how it's grown to what it is today?
1: So like Andrea said, it was started by Dr. Dugas, Dr. Ho, and Dr. Molich. Dr. Dugas had come to the States and he was actually like a patient of Dr. Ho's and they became friends and they realized they have very similar interests in terms of service. And they were kind of like looking in multiple different countries and areas and thinking about where they could start a clinic. They, like, both had this kind of dream of starting a clinic somewhere. And Dr. Douglas, he's from Bolivia, lives in Santa Cruz. Uh, He had kind of connections, and he was able to, like, find, like, a community and a location. And it it was kind of also looking just in terms of what... Um, was available in terms of like land and buildings and where you can build a clinic, and um, that will also serve like a underserved community where there aren't many clinics around or hospitals around. And so they kind of just found this land that the, these people were willing to donate, which is really what it's what the clinic is named after is okay. the owners of those of that land, and um, and now it serves that surrounding like forty thousand population area. It's like fourteen communities. Yeah. So they started the clinic and I think they just really focused on local involvement and they had the entire staff be local and, and they were just able to really advocate for this clinic in the communities. And so now the clinic is has it, it really depends on um, what are called um, promotoras. Yeah. Health promoters. Yeah. So they're like the health promoters in the communities. And so um, they like organize the patients, get like the bus and cab ready for them and, and have them come and they um, bring them to the clinic. It's just a very good model in terms of like outreach to the communities and having local involvement and being able to organize this like long-term sustainable clinic that people come to and feel passionate about.
0: Okay. The clinic is in Palacios, Bolivia, Mm -hmm. which is outside of Santa Cruz, which is where Dr. Dugas is from. So, probably why he kind of chose that area. Mm -hmm. And so, the land was donated by Humberto and Parra. And then, so it sounds like you built the clinic on the land where you thought or where they thought that there was going to be like a need, right?
1: Yeah, and apparently also because Dr. Ho thought it was really beautiful land, and it was it was oh. like all just like very natural. There's just forests completely surrounding it, and it's just like this protected land. Also, mm-hmm. okay, um,
2: yeah, and they wanted to be able to protect it too. Yeah, you know, by mm-hmm. taking over it, they're making sure that uh, like farmland or other businesses weren't going to take down the rainforest. Oh
0: yeah. You mentioned there's like 14 communities that they serve. Are mm-hmm. those just the communities that are like nearby, like geographically?
2: Mm-hmm. Some of them are nearby. Some of them are very far away. Okay. And it takes them maybe a couple hours to get to to Centro Medico in Parra. So, which I'm just going to call it CMHP, right? That's fine. <laughs> so yeah. To, um, the that. yeah. The clinic. Yeah, the clinic. So a lot of patients come from far away just to receive free medical care because um, otherwise they would, have to pay a lot. They would either have to go to Santa Cruz, which is about from where Palacios is, is about 65 miles or go to one of the smaller cities along the way uh, where they, you know, they have to pay, which a lot of them can't afford to do that.
0: Sure. Mm -hmm. So that definitely leads into like one of the questions I was kind of wondering, which was how the Bolivian healthcare system works in general. Mm -hmm. So your average Bolivian, if they're not lucky enough to live near uh, the clinic, they have to go to a a normal healthcare facility, and they pay. Do they use insurance? Is there kind of like a socialized system? Like, how do normal Bolivians pay for healthcare?
1: So, if you're like under the age of five or pregnant, then you're covered in terms of healthcare. But otherwise, um, you have to pay for healthcare, and there is insurance, but it's usually like for wealthier people in Bolivia.
2: And also to mention, actually, towards the end of our fellowship, universal healthcare was passed in Bolivia. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, it's a little different because we don't exactly know how it is working there right now. Yeah. Hopefully they're working towards getting people the services that they need without having to pay a lot for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. patients are still coming to the clinic and um, getting free service there.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Like I guess that will change the dynamic of the way the clinic interacts with like the normal healthcare system. Maybe they'll end up getting reimbursement from the government to help support the clinic. That'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. So then, what kind of services are offered at the clinic? So you said that people come from like long distances. Are they just seeing physicians? Or is there like healthcare screening? What kinds of stuff do you guys do there?
2: Yeah. So there's at least one doctor there um, from Wednesdays to Saturdays. And they can also get screening or they can uh, see a dentist that comes every Saturday. We have a women's health program where women can come for their yearly uh, screening. Um, They can get pap smears and we
1: talk about contraception, uh, mammograms, that sort Mm -hmm. of thing. Yeah, there's, like, a nurse that will triage patients as they come in and get get their, like, blood pressure done. We have, like, a lab that has an extensive amount of stuff that they do and a pharmacy as well to provide Mm -hmm. patients with free medication. Okay, that's good. They
2: see adults and kids. Mm -hmm. And then depending on volunteers that come down, I know that some years OB-GYN doctors have come down and seen patients and then uh, an ophthalmologist as well. So, okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So if there are volunteers, then mm-hmm. they can see those providers. Mm-hmm. So the, you said there's a primary care provider who's there from Wednesday to Saturday. Can you tell me a little bit more about what kinds of providers are there? Are they getting paid? Are they volunteering? Like, how does that work?
1: Yeah. So all the local physicians um, that work and the local staff that works are paid through the foundation. Okay. Volunteers that come down are obviously volunteers. So they're not employees are paid but yeah all the locals do get paid and there's there's primary care physicians that alternate there's uh dr vargas is the one that's usually there there's also dr sosa and dr guerrero and there's dr rojas like there's other ones that will come um spend their time there as well okay but
2: dr vargas is the main um person who's there yeah he's the medical Medical director
0: director as well the
1: director yeah
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Did they practice other places in the community or mm-hmm. only at Centro Medical Umberto Bar?
1: Yeah, they practice elsewhere as well. Dr. Vargas okay. practices in Porto Chuelo, which is yeah. a close by town. Uh, I think all of them actually practice, practice in Porto Chuelo. Yeah.
2: And like Dr. Vargas, I think he sees patients. Um, he has a con- uh, consult. Uh, yeah,
1: consultory. Consultory, yeah. A consultory,
2: yeah. yeah. Um, and he also sees patients in the hospital along, and the other doctors do as well.
0: Okay. Um, and so most of the funding for the clinic comes from this foundation you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Where does the money for the foundation come from? Is that Dr. Ho, Dr. Mulch and Dr. Dugas or who, yeah, who else
1: so is? Yeah, so it's paying? it's technically, so it's really like Dr. Ho and Dr. Mulich and, and Dr. Dugas. It was actually started before this clinic was even founded by Dr. Ho, which we recently learned at her memorial, actually. (laughs) It was for a lot of other altruistic work that Dr. Ho has done. But yeah, it's money from them, from past volunteers, like people, anybody that donates. So if you want to donate, it'd be awesome. It's a foundation that's kind of like run from here, from Oak Park, from where Dr. Mullich is, really. Okay. Yeah.
0: That's very interesting. I mean, that's a lot of that's a lot of commitment to be able to fund an entire clinic basically yeah. out of their own salaries.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, it's mostly out of their own salaries. Yeah. It's like definitely a lot of donations as, as well, and Layola also donates. And there's like departments that donate. I think the Department of Family Medicine donates. They also have
2: a particular fund called the Emergency Fund for donors who want to spe- um, specifically donate to. Um, to cases that so end up patients
0: being yeah. an emergency. Oh, I see. To so like referrals. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I'm sure that's, that's one of the classic issues with a free clinic is, you know, you can tell someone they have high blood pressure, but then when they have the abdominal aneurysm, like, who fixes it? The vascular surgeon has to go in and clip it, and that's not, you know… Right. That's expensive.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there's also, a, we forgot to mention that there's also a social worker that works at the clinic that's, like, really invaluable to have. Um, and she's the one that, like, helps organize and deals with the urgent patients and getting them the care that they need. And
2: any consults that we send away for, she'll help set up the appointments for those patients to if they happen to be in uh, Porto, like in a nearby town like Porto Tuelo, Buena Vista, or in Santa Cruz
1: as well. Okay. hmm
0: and you said the pharmacy is donated medication that you just give out like in the clinic itself?
1: Yeah. So it's a medication that's donated from the states and brought down, but also um, it includes a lot of medications that that the foundation funds and buys there that like metformin and, and things that and yeah, like things that like you we just like run out of in the clinic that you just can't get donated from the states and mm-hmm.
0: so I guess I would like to maybe, like, ask kind of how – almost kind of circling back to the fellowship and kind of how the fellowship works and how it integrates with the clinic. Mm -hmm. Could you tell me what, like, the goal of your fellowship is? Like, what is, like, your mission in a sense?
1: Yeah. So, I feel like there's multiple goals and – um, missions for it. But but I think um, a huge part of it is for us to get an experience in global health, a long-term experience, like immersing ourselves. We didn't really talk about like what we do there. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of what I was trying to get but, at, like what your yeah, responsibilities we were. Yeah, so our, our title there was really uh, clinic coordinators. So we like got familiarized with the clinic and with the staff and um, and the way the clinics run. And we help a lot of like logistical stuff, a lot of administrative stuff. So figuring out everything the clinic needs, like in terms of medications that they need and materials that they need, getting that in in Santa Cruz, in the main city that's three hours away. Troubleshooting problems that the clinic might have had in terms of staff communication or just computers. Or computers. Oh my God, Andrea that's was a really computer big god. Big. Yeah, and things that would just happen, and that um, we would just kind of have to um, act on our feet in terms of helping the clinic, and um, and especially in terms of computers and technology. Those are computers that were brought down from the states, and um, and there's like this EMR system that's like very amazing. charts. Amazing Amazing, <laughs> amazing charts. Um, <laughs>
0: But I did use the EMR when I was, you know, doing my yeah. eyesight trip. It's, yeah. it's, a cla- it's antique, he might yeah, it's call it. It's
1: very antique. Um, it has everything you need. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> did you fix the Wi-Fi while you were there? I don't know. That was oh, the class. The
1: Wi-Fi got a lot better, really though. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a They lot better, updated like, like, it. You get yeah. it
2: into, in the house as well. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, okay. Yeah,
1: and maybe open a message. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe open an email. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of our job is also like organizing volunteers and and making sure the volunteers are acting sustainably and like
2: and making also sure really the flow is going well too. Like we yeah been, um, organizing the med students and the residents that come down and orienting them to how the clinics run, and then like after they you know we start seeing patients, making sure that things are going smoothly, and if they need to order labs and that sort of thing, that they know how to do all that.
1: Yeah. And then we also had like research projects as well that we were doing. And I think like a huge part of what we did was just like constant quality improvement and thinking of Mm -hmm. ways that the clinic can improve too. Um, And part of that was for me, for my project. So for our diabetes patients, the insulin that we get at the clinic, that's one of the things that's almost entirely donated from the States and brought down. So a lot of patients are, like, bouncing around with what insulin they're taking and stuff. And so kind of seeing whether that has had an influence on their glucose control is okay. what, I, what I researched.
2: Yeah, And my project, but I ended up um, studying uh, a new protocol that we implemented at the clinic for um, – Taking blood pressure measurements following clinical mm. guidelines sure. uh, that are, have been put out in the United States, and because originally um, when we first started, they're uh, taking blood pressures at the front desk where it's like really crowded and and noisy. Literally,
1: patients will run to the yeah. desk because we call their name out and they're like standing outside because there's yeah. a bunch of people and then they
2: just <laughs> they running run and over. Yeah, that
1: you just yeah. do it. You don't don't wait five minutes like yeah. whatever, what the guidelines say.
2: So I um, compared. The new protocol where we had them in a separate room, you know, let them relax a little bit, and followed a set sure. of guidelines, and compared that to what they're we were originally doing with the patients. Okay,
0: mm-hmm. so it kind of sounds like you guys were almost like looking at things from a bird's eye view, seeing how to improve, helping volunteers orient themselves. Did you guys also have a clinical aspect to your fellowship where you mm-hmm. guys? ever seeing patients?
1: Yeah. So we would like attend to patients as well. Um, I think like for the first few weeks I would, we like would mostly shadow and get a feel for the clinic and, um, and the care that's the type of care that bedside manner and stuff that um, Dr. Vargas does. And, and, um, and then we started kind of seeing patients as well. And, And I think seeing patients was, was really cool. I think It's also a little bit hard to, I think I had the best experience of seeing patients when there were actually um, volunteer like faculty from like attendings from the states there just because at the clinic I think as a fourth year medical student Dr. Vergas and them just give us so much autonomy they just trust yeah. us with everything like every time I was like "Are is, like, is this right he's like yes 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 everything is right like you're good and I was like ah, you should not trust me I don't yeah. know what I'm doing um yeah. yeah but but I think in general it's just like it was like I feel like it was really autonomous in a lot of ways, and a lot of good ways too. Um, I just feel like we were able to see patients, and I think that Dr. Vargas knows his patients really well. Um, he knows everyone that's I mean, there. He's obviously not going to let us do anything. That's
2: yeah, yeah, awful. Yeah, exactly.
1: And and and, <laughs> and patients yeah. actually really do um, come back. Like month after month too. So I would only see patients that were kind of patients that keep coming back. Cause, okay. cause I feel like those are the ones that I feel like if I mess up, it'll be corrected in the <laughs> next month. Um, and yeah, you just like really get to know them and their disease and their journey and stuff.
0: Yeah. Could you tell me about what Spanish speaking ability was necessary to be there? Did you guys speak Spanish before
2: like maybe just a beginning level or even a willingness to start learning. In high school, I took like maybe three years of Spanish. And then I went off to college overall. During college, I took maybe about a year. I thought I was like doing pretty good. But I found out like when I went down, it's been a while and I really needed to, uh, I felt like I was starting from the beginning. So I started, you know learning on my own and and getting better and it's a really great way to learn a language because everyone is patient with you and they don't try to speak too fast it was a good way to to learn yeah and there's
1: also like opportunities where you can do spanish lessons and stuff like yes
2: there's Uh a an instructor if you um, want to get more experience and i did that throughout the year um, to get more practice and it helped a lot with the grammar uh, as well yeah yeah
0: that's true. That yeah. I, I did learn Spanish in like a similar kind of emergent environment. I think you're right. There's definitely an aspect of getting the slang. A certain amount of language is just copying people say. Like mm-hmm. you hear someone say something a certain way and you just say that exact same thing they said or that phrase. Another aspect of it is really understanding like the grammar. And you kind of have to combine mm-hmm. the two to, you know, speak fluently. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I came in knowing Spanish, but Bolivian Spanish is also very different. It's, yeah. it's very, very different. Um, and so, so I feel a lot like of colloquial terms. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Like I feel like I thought I was very fluent before coming, but like now after this year, I feel like I like confidently say I'm fluent. from yeah. Spanish. Like I think that nothing beats an immersive experience in terms of Spanish. And um, yeah, it's that's great. Sure. Yeah.
0: Could you guys tell us a little bit more about? like, what your schedule was like and, like, what your day-to-day experience was like maybe as, like, as a clinic coordinator.
1: Yeah, so I think every day we'd wake up in there mosquito nets and <laughs> here's some monkeys fighting outside and like, and you live at the clinic itself and you, we'd have breakfast as people came in, like we'd start breakfast and then, and we'd open the clinic up too and get things ready for the day, um, have some awesome coffee that was, that's grown on, on the clinic, um, grounds and, um, Don't Pepe. yeah. And, um, we would eat breakfast with people that would come in, the nurse would come in and, pharmacists would come in and and then we'd start our day and we would uh, like help triage patients start seeing patients or work with the doctor directly and do pap smears or work on our research project
2: yeah um patients were usually scheduled by whatever community was assigned to that day um and they usually try to schedule At most, 25 patients, but that didn't always work out. Sometimes we'd see, like, 35 patients. Sometimes there would only be maybe 10 that come in. Mm -hmm. So we really didn't know exactly how the day was going to go and how, like, busy we're going to be until they all show up.
0: (laughs) Okay. So the community gets picked up in a car Mm -hmm. or in a truck, and they Mm -hmm. all get trucked to the clinic on that same day sometimes like from really far away because it's a two-hour commute Mm -hmm. but sometimes close by Mm -hmm. so you don't know who's going to show up that day necessarily they just kind of show up almost kind of like a walk-in clinic but they are patients of the clinic so you have Mm -hmm. their chart
2: yeah there wasn't too many like maybe one or two new patients each day but sometimes they weren't like scheduled to come in that day i guess
1: yeah, like you, you don't have, like, like compared to here where you have a list of what patient specifically is coming each day. Like the, the, we didn't know like what exact patients would be coming each day. But like by community, you would have an idea of like okay. which patients. But then like you'd only find out once they actually come, like which ones ended up coming. But yeah, and then sometimes you would have like walk-ins, like people just come in on their motorbikes that like know that there's a clinic and like need to see a doctor okay. too. Yeah. Or, like, they fell off their motorcycle
2: and they got a laceration. So then they come to the the clinic clinic. because it's the closest clinic nearby and we'll treat them.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: So then uh, something I just realized that we kind of – you really did live in the clinic like the volunteers literally lived like slept in the on. building <laughs> the, yeah they the live, clinic. yeah because yeah. there's two
1: separate buildings there's like the yeah that where there's the rooms that we sleep in and like the kitchen um and then there's like a separate building next to it where's the actual clinic i'm okay. saying for, for the listeners because i know yeah. you know already
0: yeah i know yeah that makes a lot of sense so then yeah. you guys were there from wednesday to saturday mm-hmm. what did you guys do on the days that were not clinic days
1: yeah so we would go back saturday or sunday morning to back to santa cruz Uh, that that's mostly because there's usually just a lot of clinic stuff to do in santa cruz Mm -hmm. um and also to use internet and (laughs) just like call our families and stuff
2: yeah and there's Uh a volunteer house there in santa cruz that's owned by dr mullage and that's where we take volunteers back and forth from the volunteer house in santa cruz to palacios okay yeah
0: so Santa Cruz, just to remind the listeners, it's like the big city nearby. Mm-hmm. It's probably like got several hundred thousand people in population. There's like an airport and there's grocery stores and there's, like you said, internet. So it's got all the amenities and Palacios yeah. is a very small community of maybe like
1: a couple thousand. Area, yeah. It's
0: very rural. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you spend the four days in the rural community where the clinic is. Then you drive back a couple hours to Santa Cruz on Saturday night, I assume you probably do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like Saturday afternoon, Saturday usually yeah, ends up being usually. a short day. Which yeah,
2: is nice. yeah, clinic usually ends around 2 p.m. And so then after that, we pack up everything, and then we head out. And it takes us about two, two and a half hours to drive back to Santa Cruz.
1: Yeah. So we go back to Santa Cruz. In terms of the clinic responsibilities while we're in Santa Cruz, like we like have to meet with an accountant and go over some finances. We have to buy food for the week. Yeah. To take back to uh, Palacios because –
2: um, we do all of our grocery shopping in Santa Cruz uh, okay. to bring back
1: yeah. um, with us for clinic week. Yeah. And just communicating with like Dr. Mullich and Dr. Douglas on what's been happening at the clinic and just troubleshooting problems with them as well. Then also it's like our weekend. So we'd also yeah. just kind of enjoy Santa Cruz New and go, yeah, right. go salsa dancing yeah. and oh, okay. um, go on trips and stuff if we could. So mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: What kind of trips do you go on when you were there? Like, do you go sightsee around Bolivia? Or?
1: Yeah, definitely. Oh, so we went scene. to like yeah. the salt flats and La Paz and Burija, which is yeah, wine country. There's we're like a lot of cool stuff. There's like an, a really cool like two day trip that you can do to Samaipata, which is mm-hmm. a really fun.
2: We did that with the ISI group. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. sure you guys did it too. I did you that did, during yeah. my ISI group. Yeah, yeah, I
0: got the pictures hands. still. Yeah, yeah. Go to my so. Instagram if you want to check them out. No, I'm just, <laughs> yeah. just kidding. Don't go to my Instagram. I haven't posted in like two years. So. Okay. Yeah. You kind of learned to almost integrate your social life into Bolivia. You said went salsa mm-hmm. dancing. Did you guys mostly just hang out together or did you find new friends in Bolivia to hang out with?
1: Yeah, um, both, really. Yeah. Like, we yeah. would definitely hang out a lot. I mean, we all slept in the same room, and <laughs> we would socialize together a lot. But but we also, like, had local friends, too, and both in Santa Cruz. and They could show us around a little bit. And, yeah. We weren't too worried, I guess, yeah. going out on our own.
0: How did you guys deal with separating from your friends and family? So you mentioned that, like, you couldn't get service a lot of times, so mm-hmm. you couldn't necessarily be just a call away from your family here.
1: Yeah. How
0: did you deal with that?
1: definitely hard at times and I have a niece I like cried when I was leaving her and it was like really difficult initially and I just like sometimes just watch videos of her and be sad if it's her a lot but but I think ultimately you just like kind of build your own family there and I think that I I just felt very much at home with them and you're just with a lot of warm people and this welcoming environment that um, it felt pretty seamless to be to like kind of get used to that yeah I'm
2: used to living away from home ever since undergrad, but trying to make sure I'm, I am able to communicate with my family. And so I always made sure like every Sunday, um, which is pretty much most of the time, we would get that day off. I would go to Starbucks, sure. get a solid Wi-Fi connection, and I'd <laughs> talk to my family. In that sense, it made things a little bit more stable for me and that I knew like every week I was going to talk with my family and, and see how they were doing, and that I'm okay as well. So, yeah.
0: I went to that same Starbucks several times. <laughs> yeah. So, I am familiar. Yeah. yeah. It's weird how Starbucks can be like a comforting place, but I guess it mm-hmm. can be, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, I know that like during third year, during fourth year, essentially the way that rotations work is you're kind of assigned to different attendings, different residents, and while you're there, you kind of get to like absorb certain things from all the attendings you interact with and you kind of learn different things that you want to incorporate into your own personal practice going forward. What kinds of things did you guys learn during this year that you're going to incorporate into your future practice?
2: I noted all the doctors nurses, pharmacists that we work with, they're all really hardworking. The, I think I'll, I'll definitely take that back with me and how they really care about the community that they're in and they want to make it better. Other things, I guess, individually with, with Dr. Vargas, he loves teaching and I think I'll take that back with me. Like, I appreciated the effort he put into teaching me and then the medical students, residents that came down and incorporate that when I'm working with students or residents when I'm a a future doctor and making sure that they feel supported and that it's a safe place to learn and to show them that I'm invested in,
1: you know, their learning experience as well. Yeah. I think also um, what's cool about the clinic and sad about the clinic, it's a low resource clinic. And I think as a medical student and as A future clinician, like I think that you really get to see how to really utilize your resources and stretch your resources, and really focus on like physical exam and the history, and like really delve into that when you can't just order a CT on someone or a chest X-ray really easily. Like I think Dr. Vargas was great to work with because he just really, really can tell, like he can distinguish the differences between someone that really does need these studies and needs a referral versus Mm -hmm. someone that we can kind of manage ourselves and um and I think that was really invaluable that I I don't think you see here it's wonderful being back in so many ways where I'm just like oh yes like we can just order this we could just like yeah yeah, we can just order whatever (laughs) labs we can (laughs) just like we can order whatever imaging um but but yeah you can't do that very easily there so now being back I feel like it's very apparent and then besides that I just think the amount of cultural knowledge and Um, things that we have to navigate, I think just is invaluable in in terms of being a good clinician. And speaking Spanish is like one thing. It opens up this whole uh, population of underserved people that we can better treat by being able to communicate with them more directly. And then I think on top of that, just every time I go on these global health trips, I feel like it just builds up more and more my cultural competency. Okay. Yeah.
0: So one last thing would be there's probably going to be someone out there who's listening to this who is interested in this trip? But they're maybe on the fence. What would you say to them to convince them that this is the trip for them? Maybe as if you were convincing yeah. Andrea like a like a year ago, like how, or two years. Well, ago, I, I convinced Andrea
1: be. because I was like, you could hang out with me, and that won't be the case unfortunately for our listeners. Yeah. But uh, it's just an awesome experience. Like compared to my four month things in Guatemala, and India, or my two month thing in Ecuador, like those are all such amazing experiences, but those were all just very surface level. Like you're not truly immersed in the community and you don't really see as many challenges and as many ups and downs with people and relationships and as well as just like navigating challenges and, and having true responsibility when you're there for such a short period of time. Like, I feel like we had a lot of responsibility while we were there. Um, and and I think that it's just a really great opportunity because the clinic itself is just so self-sustainable, too, that it's just like a rewarding experience. There's not very many other experiences like that where you feel like you can contribute to this sustainable clinic without feeling like it's like unsustainable what you're doing, you know? Sure. Because it's not like we left there feeling like, oh, they're going to be lost without us. Like, no. But we left there feeling like we may have contributed. But the lifetime of the clinic is beyond us. And the, the meaning of the clinic is beyond us, too. So I agree with everything that Megas said. <laughs> <laughs> so do it. And we're always available yeah. for questions, too. Sure. Yeah.
2: And like, like Megas said, I mean, it. It's a way to challenge yourself to also do something that you've never done before. If you're interested in global health, I think this would be a really good way to um, immerse yourself in a community and learn all their challenges and what they bring to the table as well. I would like students to think about if they see themselves ever having an opportunity like this again in their future careers. So Mm
0: yeah. Probably yeah. not. Probably not unless you mm-hmm. take an entire year off as an attending and decide to join like MSF or something like that.
1: Mm-hmm. So well, Nathan, are you going to do it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You actually, it's funny you say
0: that because it's literally me who you guys are selling this to because yeah. I am the third year in the global health program who it's has to up. decide yeah. this kind of thing. So,
1: yeah,
0: or me or at least someone else similar to me. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, we appreciate it a lot. Thanks
2: for having us. Yeah, welcome. Glad right. to be here. And
0: to all of our listeners out there, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn’t be possible without support from our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to Medicuspodcast.com where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have questions, comments, or episode suggestions, you can submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine. No patient-doctor relationship is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.